Good morning, my dear friends. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to you this day with open hearts, open minds, to hear the greatness of our walk with you. I just, we love you, Father. We praise you. And we thank you to open the, for opening the eyes of our heart that we may see you even greater today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. And today we're going to talk about exceeding great and precious promises. You can go to Second Peter, please. Every day lately I wake up with joy in my heart, a spring in my step, <clears throat> doing things that are way outside the box of my comfort zone, my adventures in Pegoland, because I want to learn to trust God more every single day. I feel like before I came to Florida, I was getting a little rusty. I was kind of in some ruts, and I want out of the rut. I want to shed the old skin. I want to see what we can do. How fast will this baby go, as they say about sports cars? (laughs) I want to find out the limits with my limitless God. And the big key is just being aware of Jesus all day. It just brings me such joy, such comfort, inviting him into my thoughts in the morning, inviting him into my decisions I make in life, inviting him into every single thing I do. And that has made all the difference. And you know what's so cool is that brings me great, great joy. And God says in his word that he has no greater joy than to know that I'm walking in truth. (laughs) What a win-win situation. What a joyful and liberating way to live. And I know before you go there, hold on, hold on. Is it problem-free? No. We live in a fallen world. But Jesus covered that when he was on earth. He said, hey, we can be of good cheer because he has overcome the mess on this planet. (laughs) by filling us with exceeding great and precious promises. You know, when I went to church, my experience was I didn't know squat about living supernatural. And again, I'm not going to come down on church, but I I do not like religion. Neither did Jesus. The only people he took to the barn and, and gave a spanking to, so to speak, were the people that were so religious, but their heart was far from God. It doesn't matter if you can read the Bible, quote the verses, do all this stuff. If your heart is not entwined with God's, you're missing the point. We're here to have a relationship. We're here to be in a family. You know, Jesus never built one church. They all met in their homes. Church became a relatively new thing. They met in their homes. And I was thinking a lot these days about the first century church because, boy, that Acts, you know, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts is filled with signs, miracles, and wonders, people getting raised from the dead, people being healed, people speaking in tongues, people interpreting, people walking by the Spirit, casting out demons. You know why they did all that stuff? Because they walked in Jesus' power. J-E-S-U-S apostrophe. They walked in the power of of Jesus Christ, not by their flesh, not by their physical ability, but by the spiritual man that was packed inside of them that came, that type of spiritual relationship with God came 
on the day of Pentecost. Look, folks, they're little miracles, big miracles. To me, they're all big. But, but, but here's the deal. God said back in Mark 4 that his calling cards are signs, miracles, and wonders. That's what gives people empirical evidence that God is alive and well and living on planet Earth through his children. Praise the Lord and pass the peanut butter. But so many believers, so many Christians, so many Christians are living weak, anemic lives. Pretty hard to tell the difference between them and a natural man who doesn't even know Jesus because they don't live according to their new nature, their new nature. They either never got taught or they lost sight of who they are in Christ Jesus. Look, I see my body age every single day, and thank God that's not my power source because my knees don't work that great. I'm not confessing a negative, just reporting a fact. When you're in your 70s, you can, you can tell your story. <clears throat> the cool thing is my spirit man stays young forever. It's, it's going to be my forever spirit. It says it's renewed by God day by day. It never changes. It never ages. It's beautiful. It's sparkling. It's shining. I don't even have to call to get it detailed. It's, it's never going to change. It's perfect. The thing is, you know, I've got two cars. I've got one for go and one for show. I have a regular car I drive around in. I love it. But I have a very cool, uh, what do you call it? Uh, classic car. Classic car that I blessed myself with about 10 years ago because I never took vacations, I never went anywhere, and I got something I would just enjoy. I don't drive my 2001 Jaguar all the time, mainly because I don't want to get scratched up, but um, it just blesses me. But I have to have that car detailed, fixed up. You know, I have to take care of it. Here's the deal. I'm getting off my point here. We have a spirit man. But unlike my Jag, you got to take it out and drive it every day. <laughs> Your spirit man needs to be used. It's perfect, doesn't need anything, but it needs to be exercised. It needs to be used every single day. Otherwise, you know what happens? You lose sight of what it is to live supernaturally. You lose your joy. And that's a shame, folks. When we live in the spirit... You know, you have your, your five senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. But when Christ came and moved inside of you, you got a sixth sense. And you have his eyes behind your eyes. You have his ears behind your ears. You've got his touch behind your touch. You've got a spirit man that lives inside of you. And that living out of that spirit man is what takes you from living superficially, whereas most of the world is, into living supernaturally. And when I came to Florida two years ago, my life started turning into a whole new ball game because I realized that it had gotten in a lot of ruts. I had taken things for granted. I had gotten into rote procedures. I hadn't really thought about things on a deep level for a, for a while. And my first thing was to go to God and say, Lord, trim the leaves, cut off the dead leaves, prune my you know, the tree of life within me, help me put off my old ways of thinking that are just not profitable to me or anybody else. Help me see you more clearly and fill me with your joy and confidence. And in full disclosure, 
this new commitment to my own spiritual exercise is like any exercise program. It has been uncomfortable. You know, I have... If you, if, if you haven't worked out your legs in a while, it really hurts when you start working them out again. If you haven't worked out your arms, same thing. It's pushed me out of my comfort zone to let go, cut away, leave in my wake the old habits that don't serve me, and get into that uncomfortable place where growth with Jesus really, really happens. If you're not, if you're not in, a, in an uncomfortable place, you're probably not growing. <laughs> Because you're not pushing the boundaries and expanding your trust in God. But here's the deal. When we start forming these new godly habits, voila, joy, joy, joy. You find out you have more peace. You have better health. You certainly love yourself more. You certainly think more soundly. Because you're building your relationship with him. Jesus said, I of myself can do nothing I only do those things which I see and hear my father do. Was that like a joke? No. That was an example. That's an example to continually be building our relationship with him. That gives us true life for real. And what's the payoff? Well, who wouldn't want a strong, direct connection to God Almighty? Who wouldn't want to walk and talk with Jesus all throughout the day? Back when I was a kid going to church, I never even dreamed that was possible. I was taught they were mad at me. I was a sinner. I was probably not going to heaven. It was some of the most depressing doctrine I've ever heard. But when I was 23, man, somebody opened up a beautiful box of treasures and light came out and I I realized every good boy deserves favor that God wants to save all of us. He wants us all to come to a knowledge of the truth and walk supernaturally instead of superficially. Man, that's tighter than two coats of paint. To be bonded together with the master. Wow, we living your best life with Jesus. And look at Second Peter, please, chapter 1. It says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you, you, point the finger at yourself, you might be partakers of the divine nature. <laughs> that's when your head just starts exploding. The first time I read that verse, I pulled a Robert De Niro. I looked in the mirror and said, are you talking to me? Huh? You talking to me, man? You talking to me? I have God's nature, his character inside of me. This verse right here and many other places in the Bible says, yes, I do. Yes, you do. Are given unto us exceeding great. You know what that is in the in the Greek? I love the, I love these words. Megaliths. Like think megaton bomb. <laughs> Seismic, huge promises. So that by these and precious promises, there are actually two kind of promises there: exceeding great and precious. The precious are the ones like just being at the right place at the right time to talk to the right person about the right thing. Now, that's a precious promise. 
but the exceeding great ones, awesome, awesome. I don't know about you, but I've seen my share and I can, I expect to see many, many more in my years on this planet. You know, I am Joe Yarbrough's daughter. The weird thing is my handwriting looks just like my dad's. It's so, so bizarre. He didn't teach me how to write. I don't remember reading a lot of his handwriting when I was a kid, but as I got older, I saw more of it and it was bizarre how much it was almost identical. My sense of humor is so like my dad. When I, in those times I do get chilled out in a situation and I, I keep my cool, if I inherited that in my physical DNA, it certainly, it certainly came from my dad because my mother was Lucille Ball. I mean, she was, a, she was wacky. She was fun, but mom was a, she was a ball of fire. And the thing is, I can see, it's, oh, especially when I look in the mirror and look at my eyes. My eyes are the same color, shape. It's bizarre how much I see my dad and me. So look, likewise, we're born of God's seed. We have his spiritual DNA inside of us. The more we see that and believe that, the more we will bring it out for all the world to see. The more we will live it in manifestation. Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Man, that's about as DNA as you get. None of us have ever seen God with our eyeballs. Nobody, no man has ever seen God. But Jesus said, if you look at me, you will see my Father, period, full stop. Why? Because he, didn't, he never sinned. Every day and every way, he manifested completely the attributes, the DNA of God the Father. And the Bible is bold enough to say that as he is, as he is now, so are we in this world. I think sometimes we think that bar is so high we don't even jump, take the first attempt. But I tell you what, I'd rather jump three feet than jump zero. (laughs) I'd rather jump 12 feet than jump zero. I'd rather do something rather than do nothing. And Hosea (laughs) force, because just think about it. If you even live a little bit like God, isn't that better than 99% of the people on the planet? Think what would happen if you live a lot like God. If you live a lot thinking about his characteristics and his love and joy flowing through you and giving it to the best of your ability to the world. Man, oh man, that's so cool. That's cooler than the center seat of a cucumber. But God told us back in Hosea 6 that we don't do that because we don't know him intimately. That the life we could have never comes to fruition because we reject a full knowledge of him. I don't want to do that. I do not want to do that. I do not want to do that. To me, that's shameful. It's shame on me if I do that. When he's given to me exceeding great and precious promises, golly smokes, at least if somebody spent three hours cooking me a dinner, if I didn't even like what they put in front of me, you know what? I would eat it graciously because they went to the trouble to make it for me out of love. Well, I like everything on God's table. (laughs) He has all my favorite foods out there. Gobble, gobble, gobble. And the thing is, the more I partake of who he is in my life, the more I dine at his table, the more I can love other people, the more I can give to other people, the more I can give them an example like Jesus Christ. 
And folks, we live under something called the new covenant, which is awesome. Awesome. For those of you who don't know this little tidbit, in the Old Testament, yeah, there were people that had the spirit of the Lord upon them. Remember, Saul lost the spirit of the Lord. It departed from him. They had the spirit of the, of the Lord upon them by condition and by measure. So, why was the Messiah so important? Because he introduced, he brought to mankind a new and more better covenant. It was so good that the old covenant would pale in comparison. It helps if you know about the old covenant because it just magnifies what we got through Christ. We're not under 914 laws anymore. We're under one law or spiritual principle, which is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the partner, love your neighbor as yourself. So when Christ lived, died, and ascended into heaven, he brought forth as the one who God has put in charge of everything now. God has put Jesus in charge of everything. Read 1 Corinthians 15 until he's brought all enemies to become God's footstool. Through Jesus Christ came the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. Go to Acts chapter 1. And on that day, every single child of God could be filled with God's Spirit, could have God's DNA, could be a Holy Spirit junior, could be a chip off the old block. But, you know, my dad could teach me good habits when I was a child, but if I didn't want to listen to him, I usually ended up wrecking the car or spending too much money or staying out all night getting into trouble. God is our Father. We have His Spirit. We have His DNA. But how closely do we want to walk with Him? Well, the foundation of that walk is in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see Acts chapter 1 first. Because here are a couple things Jesus was saying to his disciples, his apostles, after, after God raised him from the dead. Jesus appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights. Even to a crowd as big as 500, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. And in Acts, he's with them on the Mount of Olives, and he's giving them important instructions. And being assembled together with them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, tarry, wait, for the promise of the Father <laughs> to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me. He was teaching them back in John chapter 20 how to breathe in and receive the promise that was going to come on the day of Pentecost. He said in verse 5, For John did baptize with water. That'll get you clean on the outside. But, but in contrast to that just cleaning up of the flesh, you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence, in the Spirit, in your spirit, man. E-N is with, E-N. E-N is a circle with a dot in the middle. You're, you're going to be immersed in God's Spirit. Not just water that's going to roll off your body, but something inside you is going to fundamentally change in a few days. Again, these promises, these exceeding great and precious promises, you... You read these things and go, wow, is this possible? Yeah, because we're living it. 
And that promise was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. When after 10 days, they went up to the temple compound, this big 40-acre compound that had a very small portion was what they call the temple. About 38 acres was just limestone covered a huge 40-acre area that had beautiful porches and, and porticos all around the edges. Right in the middle towards the top was the temple itself, but that whole area was known as the temple, the temple area. And it was like a... Um, when we have one of these parties down in Old Town Fernandina, you know, down on the street, it was like all these people congregating together, coming to talk about anything they wanted to. This is when, it, when Jesus was in the temple speaking, this area, these porches, these were the areas where Jesus was speaking from. You could kind of climb up on a bench and make yourself seen, talk to people, have a bunch of people in front of you listening. And this was also called his father's house. <laughs> yes. The house was not the upper room or somebody, you know, Peter's mom. No, the house in the Bible is usually referring to, referring to the house of God, the house of the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and when they, the apostles, the 12 apostles, could have been a ton of disciples, who knows, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, those 12 for sure, were all with one accord, homothumadon, one heart, in one place, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven, whoosh, like a train, like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house, that whole area, that whole, all those acres where they were sitting. And I'm, I'm sure it reverberated within those walls, and there appeared unto them, like at the tabernacle, a funnel coming down from heaven. There appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire. It sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they manifested. They began to speak in tongues. They were filled with Holy Spirit, Plato. They began to speak with other tongues as, as, as. Look at this. The Spirit gave them utterance at the direction, at the inspiration of the Spirit that now lived inside their physical body. Wow! Pentecost, God doesn't do anything by happenstance. It was the Jewish holy day where all people from all parts of Israel came and met. One of the main feasts to honor God for the first fruits of the wheat harvest. What a visual. What an example. I don't know how many times Jesus gave the analogy of the harvest of the world. The people, the wheat and the tares, you know, the lambs and the wolves. I mean, all this stuff, the righteous and the unrighteous growing up side by side until he, he returns again and they take the wheat into eternity. Not the goats, not the tares, but the wheat, the lambs into his everlasting kingdom forever. And here they were on the day that represented the first fruits of God's spiritual harvest. Why? Because if you speak in tongues, you know that you know that you know you're going to heaven and all hell can't stop you. You know that you know you're filled with the Spirit of God. You know that you know your ticket is punched and that you're filled, 
You're going to get a new body when Christ comes back, a, a new and a spiritual all body that can pass through walls, can do Star Trek. It can appear in one country and then another. You're going to get a new body when he comes back. But the spirit you've got for eternity, you got that on the day you're born again. And God wanted you to know that he'd given you that spirit by empirical evidence, which is speaking in tongues. Look, my friends, all through the Bible, God communicates to mankind through pictures and analogies and word pictures, examples of spiritual truth. And he wanted us to know on that day of Pentecost that from that day forward, anyone who believed in Jesus as their Messiah would be filled with the spirit of the living God, have God's DNA in them so that they could be partakers of his divine nature. I'm telling you what, back in Luke 15, it says the angels party when one sinner repents. <laughs> when one sinner repents, they must have been having the party of all parties on the day of Pentecost to see God's plan coming to pass on earth after 4,000 years of waiting since Adam. The fulfillment of God's plan, Pentecost, the shock of ages to the demons. Man, that was the shock of ages to the devil. Whew! They never expected this, that God would put the power of Jesus Christ inside of every one of his kids. Jim, any Christmas? <laughs> and on that day of Pentecost, 2,000 years in our rearview mirror, men and women from all over the world had come together to thank God for the first fruits of their harvest while God was showing forth the first fruits of his harvest, his family, his children that would believe him and believe on his son, Jesus Christ. And on that day, the spirit, you know, Jesus had told, he, he had told those 12 apostles through the spirit where to go, when to go, and on that very day, they were with one heart, one man in an area called Solomon's Porch. A beautiful, long portico, two stories with beautiful pillars, you know, faced, I don't know how many feet apart, where anyone could come and talk about the scripture. Like I said, Jesus had come to this very spot many times and talk about perfect timing on that Pentecost, which was around 30 A.D., in that super crowded, jam-packed plaza that had thousands of men and women from all over the world, these 12 apostles are sitting together when suddenly, whoosh, there's a sound like a freight train, a heavy breathing, a sound being made. And at that moment, a pillar of fire, just like in the Old Testament on the tabernacle, came down from heaven and 12 flames hovered over those 12 men's heads. That's a miracle, my friends. That's a miracle. That's what you call phenomenon. And when those apostles heard that sound, whoosh, it sounded like a freight train, that was the go sign that Jesus had given them back in John that said, when you, set, when you hear this sound, breathe in deeply, relax, let your head fall back, and just <sighs> breathe and out of their belly, 
as he said to the woman at the well, flowed rivers of living water that proved that God was in them of a truth. They started speaking in languages that other nations in that crowd understood. Do you think that got their attention, the crowd? People, God knows how to put on a show better than any human being in Hollywood can come up with with, all, with, all, with a billion dollars. Because at that very moment, on that morning, I think it was around 9 a.m., an hour of prayer, at that very moment, all 12 of them got baptized, baptizo, which means to be immersed in, not in liquid water, but inside with the spirit of the living God. Wham! God's spirit got tuned in and turned on just like Jesus said they would. And they spoke in tongues and they magnified God and they spoke the wonderful works of God. But when God does something the first time, you know, he's going to do something with a little twist so you can't miss it. (laughs) A little something, 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 a little extra Parmesan on the top. And on that day of Pentecost, well, look, when I spoke in tongues, a funnel did not come from heaven and a cloven tongue did not fear, appear over my head. That was part of the phenomenon of the first time, the first fruits. Another part of that phenomenon of the first thru- fruits that doesn't happen, it doesn't have to happen again, is in that moment, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia, love that word, Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, and other places. Listen to this. First time out of the chute, God wanted to make sure they understood this was him. This was him behind this miracle. They heard in their own native tongues these 12 uneducated Galileans who certainly did not know how to speak their language. They heard them speaking in their own native languages. You know, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, These unlearned men speaking in their native languages, and what were they doing? They were magnifying God and speaking the wonderful works of God. They were magnifying God and speaking the wonderful works of God. Pentecost, you know, man, God had to come out with a kabang, a kapow, so nobody could miss it. This is not what happens today when people speak in tongues. It's the same principle where we relax, we breathe in, we let the spirit flow out of our stomach, our, our solar plexus. But we can read about it in the book of Acts. We know what happened. It's written for our learning. So nobody could miss. And then Peter gave that great sermon where he talked about Jesus Christ and the whole point of living is to have Jesus as your Savior and walk with him and talk with him. And, and that day... This is why you know they're not in an upper room. That day about 3,000 souls were added to the church, the body of Christ. 3,000 people believed that one day and took Jesus as their Lord and Savior and came together as a group and glorified God. And they just grew from there. They grew from that moment on. So what happened on Pentecost was phenomenon. It was awesome. The phenomenon was a one-time deal, but the speaking in tongues came in with the apostles. It didn't go out with the apostles. Why would God bring something that miraculous in that they did all through the book of Acts, you know, that comes from 30 AD to 100 AD and suddenly take it from us? Oh, you don't need that anymore. Really? (laughs) 
We don't need to have our faith built anymore in 2023. We don't, we, it, it wouldn't bless us to see the sign of speaking in tongues as a miracle and a wonder that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are born again of God's spirit. Do you know how many people come to me and say, Peg, how can I know I'm born again? It makes me want to cry because there it is, two chapters in the book of Acts and most churches just read right over it. God gave us the proof so that we didn't have to walk through life and wonder if we're his child. But we can walk in the nursery and see that little glass place where they put the baby and it says, Peg Yahweh, Ron Yahweh, Elena Yahweh, Suzanne Yahweh. You can know that you know that you know you're part of God's family. You're named as a child of God. So when you speak in tongues, just like to those 12 apostles, those languages were unknown to them. And even today, I've been in places where someone else understood the language, but not the person speaking. And this all happened on Solomon's porch. This this was one of those exceeding great megaton promises and precious promises of the Father coming to pass on the day of Pentecost, the day of first fruits, where they spoke in tongues and they magnified God. And now today, anybody in the church who's born again can speak the wonderful works of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that it's the guarantor, it's the proof, it's the proof positive. So you don't have to question, you don't have to doubt, you don't have to worry you can know that you know that you know you're born again of God's Spirit. And, that, and not only that, not only that you're born of God's Spirit, but you're filled with the power of Jesus Christ. Just like it said back in John 14, He was going to send the Comforter, the fullness of the Spirit, so that we could do the works that He did and greater works. You know why? There's more people on the world today in the world today. When Jesus was living on earth, he could only do God's will, God's word, signs, miracles, and wonders at one place at one time. Now, God's signs, miracles, and wonders can be done any place there's a believer who walks by the Spirit. This is what blew the devil's mind. It says in 1 Corinthians, it says, if the devil had known what was going to happen because of Jesus' death and resurrection... He would never have killed Jesus. He would have rather had one Jesus living eternally and walking one Jesus than having millions who believe God and walk like Jesus all over the face of the earth. Boy, if that doesn't make you feel pretty self-confident, pretty strong, I don't know what it takes. (laughs) And God says in Ephesians 5, chapter 1, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, He doesn't ask us. He doesn't beg us. He just says, imitate me. Be imitators of God. Just do it. Just imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Folks, kids get this. (laughs) Kids get this. 
We have to be adults. We have to be astute. We have to be erudite to talk ourselves out of the simplicity of what God really wants for his children. Look, God either lied or told the truth. The problem is with us. We have a hard time believing that this is too good to be true. Well, get over yourself. Just accept the exceeding great and precious promises so that we get out there and bust down doors and take names later for God, for Jesus. You know what? It says Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. If you need a goal in life, please put that on your refrigerator. Jesus Christ went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's our calling. That's how God sees us. And if you really want to do it right, you got to remember another great verse about Jesus. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. You know, put off your judgmental hat. Put off your criticism hat at yourself and other people. And just say, Lord, how can I go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil? Because you're in me. You're with me. You're guiding me when I listen to you. And we can do all things. God gave us this exceeding great and precious promise 2,000 years ago. Dig it up. Use it. Put it back into practice. Man buried it, but God didn't. So let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Luke 11, chapter 9, verse 13. Jesus said, I tell you, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks a fish, are you going to give him a snake? Or if he's hungry and asks an egg, are you going to hand him a scorpion? So if you fathers, earthly fathers, even though you're evil and, you know, none of our fathers were perfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's not going to give you a counterfeit. God has given us, he said, you may do it and you can do it. You may do it and you can do it. He has given us the permission and the ability. To what? To be edified, comforted, and exhorted by his spirit. To bring rest to our soul. To let us do perfect praise and worship. These are all things speaking in tongues does. To speak perfect praise and worship. To give thanks perfectly. I'll send you this list if you want it. Just text me. For our spirit to bear witness with his spirit that we are joint heirs with Christ. Goodness gracious, who would want to know that? <laughs> you know, when I bought my new car, I loved getting my, my uh, bill of sale. When I bought my Jag, I liked it even better because I paid cash and I got my title. Made me feel like the owner. This is what speaking in tongues is. It gives you the title deed. You know, you own it. You've got the spirit of the living Christ 
coursing through your body. It strengthens us with his might in our inner man, our spirit man, the new creation. And in terms of outreach, it's a sign to the unbeliever. I mean, the first time I heard speaking in tongues is when something went boing inside my heart. And I said, I don't know what they're doing, but that's the spirit of the true God. I've been studying demons for years, man, walking with them. <laughs> I heard speaking in tongues one time and my inner man went, woohoo, these guys have it. Whatever that is, I want it. And I left everything, like my water pot, the woman at the well, and just sought that spirit, the spirit of God. And with interpretation in a believer's meeting, it brings forth a message for or from God right in that moment to the body of believers present. So here are the four simple keys to speaking in tongues. Number one, you already got it. If you believe Jesus is Messiah and God raised him from the dead, baby, you got it. You got this thing. <laughs> it's yours. Just be quiet because the great cargoes in life come in over quiet seas. Number two, you don't have to beg God or pray or do anything special. You might pray, I mean, but you don't have to have a special anointing. It's already yours. And number three, just like those apostles on the day of Pentecost, you just kind of tip your head back towards heaven. You just breathe in and you just feel the relaxation course through your veins. Because Psalm 81 says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Jesus said in John, out of your belly is going to flow rivers of living water. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, which they that believe would receive on Pentecost in the future, in 2023, right now. Not only did the apostles do it, but they did it all through the book of Acts, and millions have done it in the meantime. Even Martin Luther, who broke away from the Catholic Church, the Protestant Revolution, he spoke in tongues. <laughs> so remember, speaking in tongues came in with the apostles. Just like signs, miracles, and wonders are still in our day and age if we will just believe it. So to speak in tongues, you just relax, you take a deep breath, you move your throat, your lips, your tongue. Here's the deal. What you speak is God's business. I, sometimes I have the same language for a while. Sometimes God will give me a new one. What I speak is his business. It's going to be inspiration. I'm not going to understand it. It's going to flow from my solar plexus right out of my mouth. I move my lips, my throat, my tongue. But that I speak is my business. And right now, Heavenly Father, I now receive the Holy Spirit, power from on high that you made available on the day of Pentecost through Jesus our Lord. Amen. And now let's everyone speak in tongues.